this is Jordan Van Trump with Farm Tank. Farm Tank is an organization I formed for individuals and business owners to learn the latest in innovation, execution, and motivation. I believe there's a huge demand for hearing how others have become successful in life. I'll be traveling the world talking to some of the most influential CEOs and founders to help everyone learn and be more successful in their near future. The agricultural community has been extremely grateful to me and my family, so I'd like to do the same for everyone else and share my insights with you. With that, coming to you live with Farm Tank, Jordan Van Trump. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Farm Tank. Today I'm with Clint Breyer, CEO and co-founder of Greenfield Robotics. We're going to learn a ton on a lot of subjects. And regenerative ag, robotics, leveraging, scaling these these uh, businesses. And Clint's got, a, in my opinion, an awesome story from uh, being on the farm to leaving it and coming back. He has a technology background. Uh, he is a farmer, so uh, I think his perspective will be unique. And then uh, he's, in my opinion, the company's leading the charge kind of on where things are headed. So, Clint, I want to welcome you to Farm Tank. Thanks, Todd. Certainly glad to have you here today. Tell everybody, I know you grew up in a farm out there in Kansas. Tell us where. And then you left the farm and uh, went after school and, and did some stuff and then came back. So kind of walk us through the decision-making processes on those things. So there may be some folks out there that are wondering, you know, hey, man, why did my kid leave? Or as a kid, you're wondering, uh, hey, man, should I go back and stuff? So, yeah, walk us, uh, walk us through some of that. <laughs> well, reason number one in my case is if you have old, crappy equipment uh, that your kid may leave at least temporarily. <laughs> there you go. Easy enough. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I grew up, uh, Cheney, Kansas is where my farm currently is. I grew up in Haven, Kansas, so we're just west of Wichita, south-central Kansas. And uh, so we had farms on both sides of the family, and uh, the one down here, Cheney, was the primary one. And so I grew up uh, farming with my uh, my dad and uh, started driving combines when I was nine, uh, old Gleaner A2s with uh, – no cab. I kind of miss those at times, but uh, not really too much. But uh, and uh, you know, and did 4-H and grew vegetables in 4-H and uh, trained dairy cows to lead, you know, uh, showmanship type stuff and uh, and all that. And uh, you know, really got into technology when I was a kid and and did a lot of reading and uh, you know was very interested in it. And then you know the to be honest, the frustration with the equipment and uh, my dad and I working on stuff and, and, and breaking down a lot uh, really uh, kind of drove me away from it, you know. And uh, my goal was um, to, you know, get far away so I didn't have to worry about it and make a lot of money. So I, you know, I went to K-State and uh, ended up going out to L.A. and, and uh, was out there for 13 years in the Internet. Started in 1997, the first company I worked for, um, was one of the first web developers out there, very sophisticated, and uh, it was just a complete eye-opener, and we grew like crazy. I think I was employee number 15, and we had in that office a year later, I want to say close to 300 people, and went public, IPO, and um, and that was the beginning of a pretty wild ride, and uh, it was very exciting, and I learned a lot, but... Uh, after about 13 years, decided I wanted to do something that I thought had a lasting impact. And uh, I had been kind of looking into organic farming and was eating, you know, organic and researching it since I had been 25 years old and uh, decided, you know, let's, let's see if we can take the small family farm and uh, learn how to farm organically, starting with vegetables, none of the broad acre stuff. 
and uh, and that's kind of how all this started. Uh, so I came back to Kansas, and and I've been at it for a decade now. So you had to go to California to learn how to eat organically, huh? <laughs> Apparently, you know, uh, Sony gave me a bunch of money when I was 25, and, and a business partner and I, and uh, I promptly just went overboard working myself nearly to death, and uh, had some health problems develop, and and doctors were just trying to give me pills, as you know they used right. to do a lot, and uh, and my business partner, I think, is over 60 years old now, and I think he still has like a six pack, I and mean, he's just one of those guys always eating healthy and uh, staying in shape, and he said, you know, you eat like an idiot. Um, which is really not what my parents told, taught me to do, but I was just running right. fast. And uh, he said, hey, I'm going to drag you into Whole Foods, and we're going to change this. And so I, I learned a lot, and then, of course, I started researching everything. Yeah. So that's kind of how that came about. That's pretty cool. I guess when you were at Sony, one of your expertise had to do with, well, I'm just going to call it big data and let you run with it, but I think you made some comments about that you can share with farmers on the importance of data, knowing what you're looking for, knowing what you're going to use, et cetera, and, and just what that whole big data thing in farming means from your perspective, having the great experience you do in the field. Yeah, um, I, I probably went back back in the day, one of my times at Sony, we uh, we really did some very sophisticated stuff, and, and we could essentially track anyone who hit us on e-commerce, and then we did it across email and data warehousing, and that kind of helped me rise up. and. But the thing with that was there were a lot of people talking about it. And when I first started researching and getting into it, you know, you'd see these conferences and speeches and, and I'd maybe talk to people that gave them. And the reality was there wasn't a lot of reality. There was a lot of sort of just uh, blue skies and talking. And we actually did it. And I think with – and it was hard. It wasn't easy. Uh, we worked at it, and we really decided one of the things we had to do was decide what data is important. Um, you can spend a lot of time doing reports and looking at things that are meaningless, but if you haven't decided ahead of time what you're going to do with it and it's not actionable, then you're just wasting your time. And I think it's farming. Um, you know, There's just so much conversation going on around data and the value of data. And I think there's an assumption, there's a lot of small companies out there that assume that they're going to have value in their data like Google. Uh, there's only one Google. And uh, I'm not sure that farming data is worth that much beyond what it is for the, the farmer to help you improve your operation. So we'll see what happens over time, but I just don't see the market for that data. Right. So obviously big decision to move back from L.A. Uh, to Kansas and do stuff. What was the light bulb moment? I mean, it sounded like there was a – a few things that converged at once, but what, uh, what was it that said, man, i, I got to go back? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I, uh, I went through a divorce, and I thought, you know, this is a good time to rethink, and I was looking at my resume, and all the names of the companies kept changing, and some were around and some weren't, and um, I just wanted to do something no one could argue is good, and, uh, and I think that's still true with uh, everything I've done on the farm and, and now with Greenfield Robotics is no one can argue that what we're doing is, is a noble goal and, and, and worth pursuing. And um, so that, that really was the change. I decided, you know, this is a good time in my life to hit reset and what do I really want to do? All the goals I had coming out of college were no longer relevant to me. Um, pursuing money and, and these types of things, I, I, I could care less. It's, it's not about that at all. What was your goal? What, uh, how are you going about achieving it with Greenfield? 
Yeah, so my goal is um, to reduce and eliminate chemicals uh, out of farming, at least additive chemicals. And um, so that led to, you know, we started with vegetables and we did all that using OMRI certified inputs. And then I said, okay, how do we impact this on a broad acre level? And, of course, uh, when you start thinking about how can I take what I learned in greenhouses and outdoors growing vegetables and put it on that broad acre, what is the first thing you hit? problem and it's it's weed control you know unless you want to till and I'm convinced of the value of no-till farming but I don't want to see all those chemicals and no farmer wants to see them um, it's just a necessity at this point so that's how Greenfield Robotics came into being is a quest to do no-till you can call it organic we're not necessarily heading in that direction but no-till without chemicals how can we do that and so our first robot solution we came up with that's now in fields um, this summer and uh, actually later today, I'll be out there watching them. Uh, it's basically uh, allows you to control broadleaf weeds post-plant in 30-inch row crops. So corn, soybean, milo, sunflowers, cotton. So tell everyone what how they're controlling it because i found that very interesting when you shared it with me a couple of weeks ago uh your process versus some of the other processes that are being used yeah um first off we want to do no till we don't want to do chemicals so trying to recognize every plant and spray them which is an extremely difficult job to do um is is not our ballywick the uh what we're doing simply at this point is we mow between the rows and I tested it for a couple of years before we even went and started working on the first robots because I thought this is impossibly simple um, how can this possibly work you know right. and you know called one of our advisors PhD in crop genetics a good friend of mine and, and crop consultant we had at the time and different folks and said you know is could this actually work you know and I tested it with a rotary mower on the back of a 38 horsepower tractor you know running around out right. in the fields mowing stuff taking pictures and it did and, you know, with a rotary mower, you're mowing two or three inches high, and you could see the impact. And so uh, we finally built our first one, and, and, it, and it mows. So we try to get about an inch away from the actual crop, and we mow those things repeatedly. So on a soybean crop, we're out there probably mowing two to five times a year. Uh, that can vary widely uh, based on rainfall and sort of what's going on with your crops and how weeds have been controlled in the past. But... These bots, they weigh about 140 pounds, and they go between the rows. And so we'll dump out 10 of them at once this summer, and they go up and down, and they mow, literally mow, about an inch off. And we'll plan on doing that two to five times on your crop. That's awesome. That's, uh, is, there, is there any place, uh, do you have anything on the website or any, any videos out there and stuff? People can see that because I think that's pretty cool, and you just got to kind of see it to I, I think we'll have them out there pretty soon here. Cool. Next. We've got the old one with the last year's bots, but this year's okay. with all 10. I'm hoping the next couple of weeks. Well, yeah, so, I mean, touch on that real quick, because I know it used to be you had to be out in the field with it, or you were kind of, you were kind of remote controlling it, and then it was Internet availability. And, and so just walk us through the, how that's changed in the short time you've been progressing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really interesting how these bots are controlled, and, and that's that really is the, the big magic is uh, – the first one is uh, radio control. So that's what you think it is. It's like a radio controlled car. So that's how we could take them in and out trailers and put them in. Uh, the second thing we have on there is LIDAR. So that basically gets shut off once they're in row in the field. But what it does is make sure no one gets ran over. 
<laughs> they only weigh 140 pounds, but if you stand in front of it, the LIDAR will see you and it'll stop. So those are the two simplest ones. Then we have RTK GPS. So we actually fly a drone over the field and we map it. And uh, we know where each row is using GPS. But that isn't for steering. That's just for um, pathing. If you have 10 bots, you don't want them to run into each other. They need to know which row they're going down next, right? Right. And then uh, the the real magic is machine vision. And we have, I believe, one of the top machine vision guys in the world. He's been working on it for a decade, software he wrote used by 50,000 people around the world, um, some of them pretty major corporations. And um, he teaches them how to recognize uh, the rows. We're not trying to recognize specific plants at this point. And, um, and that is what steers them. Um, you cannot, so last year we just used the remote control and we used, actually I forgot to mention, it's called teleoperations. And we actually use, uh, it's our own software and we create our own internet at the edge of the field and we can steer them using a, a computer, up to 10 of them at once. And uh, But the thing is, if you're trying to get within an inch of a plant, I don't care what you do, steering of the computer or even radio control, it's pretty hard. Right. You have to have a computer controlling that, and that's where machine vision comes in, and it makes millisecond decisions on steering and uh, guidance. And, and it's actually recognizing, like, any slippage or issues with the drive system and correcting those as well. Well, you touched a little bit on, on the team that you have and, and on the machine vision, now, and I, I read a little bit about it. Tell us what they did uh, all the way back in 1994. I believe it was the same team or, or some of the same people, but uh, what they made possible. Because I think what's important here is that people realize not only you know, you're a farmer, you got technology background, uh, but your history has allowed you to really align yourself with some incredible people and, uh, I mean, to, to just share with them uh, 1994 what uh, they were doing via the Internet. Yeah, Stephen and Carl were part of a team, and they <clears throat> they did the first basically uh, teleoperated robots over the internet. So, um, and it was actually a gardening um, deal. So that um, they had a mechanical arm, robotic arm that you could use to raise raise crops in a controlled environment. And it was the first thing like that ever, period, in history. And uh, and it worked. And they're in some museum, I believe, somewhere in Europe now. And, and I think they're on the front of the London Times for it back in the day. And that that is, I mean, Stephen is uh, just a brilliant programmer. And him and Carl have been working together forever. And uh, so these guys really, really get it. We're not out here guessing at what we're doing. There's a lot to learn. But uh, it's really amazing uh, what they were doing clear back then. And, and when I worked with Stephen and Carl right out of college, at the design firm or development firm I'd mentioned, W3, it was uh, it was amazing. We actually had remote control cars, except we were controlling them over the internet, running through our office, streaming video. And if you think about that in 1997, that's quite a feat. That's pretty cool. And and that that's where Stephen lives. I mean, he he's always been. You know, he wrote software from scratch in six months. It became one of the first uh, software as a service companies out there called Crown Peak, okay. and he virtually wrote it by himself. And they were winning Fortune 100 customers within months of him developing it in six months' time. So just a rare talent and just a great guy, and uh, just thrilled to have those guys on board. Well, I think it's important, in my opinion, and it seems with all the solutions that are out there, especially when you get into tech and digital and stuff, you know, we've used the phrase, there's a lot of 
solutions that don't have problems. But I can tell you as a fact, I've watched every CEO of major new companies, and we're talking about the $100 million companies that have come through our office because they have no relationship. They don't, you know, they know Kevin's a uh, trusted advisor, and they recognize that's uh, how, how they're going to get in after many failed attempts. So my question, are you seeing uh, your perspective on being a farmer yourself and, and having the tech skills and building this team as you build out a company and the importance of that versus just being on the West Coast with an idea? Yeah, I mean, you can take all the brilliant engineers you want, but if you're going in the wrong direction or your model's wrong, you're not going to make much progress. And I, I've seen that with other robotics companies uh, in this space and uh, in ag tech in general. And uh, I think in ag tech in general, there's a huge disconnect between what's getting funded and what farmers want. I mean, it's not even close for the most part. I think there's a ton of companies getting funding that are going to be a zero. And... Uh, but that's a disconnect. Silicon Valley is, is, is to some extent clueless on how broad acre farming works. They get specialty farming, but they sure struggle to understand what happens in the Midwest and in the South in this country. So uh, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic there. You know, I am the dumbest guy at our company, but what I do bring is I understand farming, and, and I do farm, and I still farm. And I've done it all different types, vegetables, broad acre, we even run sheep using rotational grazing. And so I can understand what they're doing. We have similar numbers to what some of these guys have. And so our models are geared to make it simple for a farmer to plug in. So if it, for example, if they want to, our beta trial guys this year, we're charging them 30 an acre. And um, we see that as a swap on your operating note. So instead of the chemical. So instead of Dicamba or Liberty Link for your soybeans, um, when you buy that, instead of spending all that on the chemical, you, you plug in the 30 an acre, and we know that guys spend 25 to 60 an acre on the broadleaf control. So we really try to make it simple. Um, it's it's a, a terrible time to ask farmers to spend more money, even if you think you can deliver a better yield or control or whatever you're doing. So you need to be cognizant of folding into an operating note. There's no question about that. Can you share a little bit, because I know you got more than just uh, Greenfield buyers going on out there. Tell us you got your own farm. It's a working farm, a research farm. But what are you doing out there? What is it, MG Honors? And just kind of what's, what's happening out in that way as you develop this company and the other things you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest little farm ever. It, uh, <laughs> I always try and stuff. I've killed a, uh, I probably have like a, a, a noted record for killing plants. Uh, fortunately, not too many animals, but uh, on accident. But uh, we're always testing things out here. And uh, so we have greenhouses going and we've got outdoor vegetables going. So the greenhouses are vegetables and herbs and actually some flowers, and same thing outdoors. And so we've got that going, and we supply into restaurants, uh, schools. And uh, right now we're not really doing grocery stores, but historically we at one point had distribution in all the grocery stores, all the Hy-Vees, and all the Whole Foods in Kansas City at one point. I'm growing hydroponically. We've done all that up in Topeka with my cousin. And then uh, we also, on the farm itself, um, we rotationally graze sheep. And so we move them every one to seven days around our fields, and uh, we graze cover crops and or weeds. And um, so that's been a learning experience the last couple of years doing that. And we don't use any, uh, you know, any antibiotic unless absolutely necessary or vaccinate. So we just uh, keep a close eye. And we've used a, a llama to protect those 
which has also been a learning experience. Yeah, I've seen him on some of your I think it was on some of your LinkedIn or Twitter videos. It's pretty awesome. I've heard yeah, they're great. Yeah. I've heard they're great protectors it, out there. It, they are. They are when they get loose, though. It's like, uh, you know, when uh, they get loose, one, one of the things that I've learned is there's no good fencing system out there for this. And, uh, boy, when a llama gets loose, it's like they're headed back to, I don't even know where they come from, Peru, but it's like they're, they're, making, they're headed that way, you know, and they're not uh, going to hear it from you otherwise. That is but, funny. Uh, well, yeah. um, let's switch to the, yeah. to the general, the general scope of, of regen ag, carbon farming, this and that. I mean, because look, there's a whole new, you know, heck, I guess there's uh, some Senate bills potentially on some of that stuff. But give me your perspective uh, on just the movement. I mean, obviously in robotics, but let's talk uh, in broader scope on regen and, and where it's going, and your thoughts on on producers. And then I'll ask the most pointed questions regarding what guys can do that are just getting pinched in the commodity space because they can't compete and stuff. So. Lay out uh, the Clint Brower uh, Regen Ag, the future of it, why it's important, and, uh, and what it really means, because some people may not really fully understand it still. Yeah, no, I think uh, consumers certainly don't understand it yet, and, uh, and I think all farmers have some idea about it, but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. So one of the things on the farm, you know, we have MG on our farms, but we also raise crops and we have partner farms in Nebraska and in my area for candidate pet foods. And so we basically ask farmers to, you know, go down a path of reducing their chemical inputs and no-till is the very first requirement. And in return for those techniques, we offer them a premium over what they can get locally for their crops. And through that process, that started in 2015, through that process, uh, Canada Pet Food hired a consultant to kind of help me figure out, you know, how do we message this to not just farmers but consumers. And, and one day I, he told me, he said, hey, what, you, what you're doing is actually called regenerative agriculture, you know, and I said, never heard of it. <laughs> so, um, you know, but regenerative ag is, is simply, it's uh, no-till farming. It means you always have a growing root as much as possible. Uh, so that's a lot of times cover crops and your cash crops, and, and it's grazing it. It's grazing the uh, cover crops if you can. And there's a lot of other ways to do it and, and techniques and vegetables and different things, but for me on Broadacre, that's, that's what I'm going for, is there's always something growing and there's always something grazing if it's not a cash crop. One of our messages to our clients and or just to the people that read the, the report, et cetera, is, you know, obviously, if you're in the commodity space, you got to be a low-cost provider. Maybe it's Regen Ag, maybe it's other things. You've obviously spent time thinking through a plan and stuff, but I just want to get another man's perspective who's chosen a route to do something different uh, where you can give guys some hope and, and, and tell them the realities about, you know, what, what their future may look like if it's not in the commodity space. Yeah, look, I, I'm bullish on farming. I think it's a, a really bad time, but I grew up around it, and I grew up, you know, my dad lended uh, money and was his main job to dairy farmers for, for AMPI and DFA his whole career, 40 years, all the way from Minnesota to Texas. And uh, I, so, you know, dairy is, is one of the craziest industries, if not the craziest industry, and the up-and-down nature of it. So I'm well aware of how that works with farming, and, and we've been down for a while now. And there's some variables there beyond our control. Uh, U.S. dollar is strong. That makes imports a problem or exports a problem. And uh, right there, if that changes like it did in the 70s, um, suddenly, you know, there'll be a boom. But in the interim, there's a disconnect between consumers and farmers. 
And anything you can do to reach consumers either directly or partner with a company that wants to reach, raise consumers and communicate your unique proposition. And that proposition really needs to be less and less chemicals. And uh, I think regenerative ag is, is the next big wave. And uh, that's you know, our partnership with uh, Canada, my, my, my company, and also with Greenfield. You know, we have an interesting proposition here because we reduce chemicals and we have other things in development to uh, eliminate them and sort of allow regenerative ag to scale. And when you do that, uh, the price premium will follow. And so my whole career has been sort of being out there on the, I wouldn't say always the bleeding edge, but the leading edge. And you do collect a premium. And so if there's a way to supplement or increase margins or premium, that, that is the way to do it, to do the thing that consumers want to see, to communicate it to them, and find a way to get the product to them, whether it's direct or um, partnering with someone that wants to tell that same story. And it is extra work, and I know a lot of farmers don't want to have to deal with that. Um, you know, very hard to market or to do something like that if you're already farming thousands of, of acres, if not tens of thousands. But um, I think that that's really what it takes. And so that really is my goal, is to get chemicals out, but we also are working and have some pretty extensive plans to make sure farmers get that that additional premium, and we're already doing that with Canada, and I have additional plans on top of that. And so I would encourage farmers to get in touch with us so when those become real, maybe they can partner with us. Right. Um, give me your perspective, because I believe on your website it talks about uh, carbon farming or something like that, and I know some things are going on in, uh, at the Washington level and things, and we've, watched, we've seen Indigo try and create a carbon market, and I've got very little experience, but I know, you know, I guess over the years it's been a struggle to get that. What, from your perspective, are you seeing, uh, is there going to be a carbon marketplace, and uh, what opportunities does that provide? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. Um, I think there's still so much discussion going on around that, but uh, I think some of that just, you know, according to most of the science I read, there's there's a lot of benefit from no-till farming and uh, in terms of keeping carbon in the ground. And, and uh, I am a guy who, who is concerned with climate change. I know that everybody agrees with that, but uh, that's where I stand on it. And I think that uh, Congress, you know, we'll see if they come up with this bill and it gets through and, and that farmers are compensated for it. And uh, if that's the case, then, you know, obviously no-till farming is going to uh, grow even more rapidly at that point. But um, as far as actual marketplaces, <clears throat> to my knowledge, there's not a ton of them at this point. It's not necessarily a, a real thing or a reality uh, for most of us. And uh, But, I, you know, I welcome it. And, and it's not something I set out to address with uh, robotics, but it is a side benefit of enabling, you know, more farms to go no-till without losing control of their fields to pigweed or mare's tail or whatever they're fighting. Well, and you, and you touched on this a bit earlier. I want to make sure that I heard it correctly or give you a chance to, to clarify. Are you saying this yep. is all under the heading? Is this all organic or it doesn't have to be organic? It's just going to be basically no-till and then hopefully chemical-free, but it doesn't have to be organic? Yeah, we're not, I'm not a, uh, we're not headed for organic certification. I don't think that that is um, necessarily going to be the path for everyone. We're really, the path we're on is to enable farms to go regenerative ag and then get there without chemicals eventually. And so um, while my initial goal was no-till organic, we're really on a, um, 
regenerative ag path at this point uh, with what we do with Greenfield. And so that means being able to enable farms to control weeds without tilling. It means uh, doing a lot of different things on those croplands. It means grazing. It means a lot of different uh, things that right now, in my opinion, are not scalable. And so our goal is to make it scalable. And that's, and that's something that Kevin and I always debate. And I want to just kind of keep beating this horse for a second. So why... If you're doing, if you're not using chemicals, is there an advantage, or what am I missing as to why you wouldn't just get certified organic in the process after three years? Yeah, well, uh, first off, when if you go to organic and you want to control, let's say you get sugarcane aphids in your Milo crop, okay, your sprays are, are different that you can use on that versus if you're not organic. Gotcha. And they're going to be less effective, and so that 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 is your concern number one. If you're a farmer, um, they're not going to last as long as sprays. They're not going to be as effective. And I know I've been using them for a decade on uh, vegetable crops, so I know those sprays pretty well. And so that's that is your you know that's your number one hindrance right there. Your second thing is your seed, right? You're not going to be able to use your genetically modified seed. And you know if your genetics are are the same with what's available in your you know organic certified seed, then great. But if they're not, then you're going to take potentially a yield hit. There's a lot of debate out there about all that. But uh, at this point, um, I'm going to probably side with the geneticists because I've seen with my own eyes a difference in soybeans in the last 30 years. Right. They used to burn up and, and disappear in south-central Kansas by midsummer, and now they just hold strong throughout the season. So I'm pretty sure the genetics have had a huge impact. You are going to be broad scale, so tell us where you see yourself and how long it's going to take to get to the point where a guy who's got 5,000 acres out there is going to uh, you know, be able to get rid of his chemicals if he's using you and it's working. Yeah, look, uh, I think that uh, I've been at it for 10. I tell folks I've got 19 more years, and uh, it's probably going to take every one of those to get this whole thing uh, solved you know, um, but uh, we can reduce the chemical load substantially. But if we're talking about reducing synthetic fertilizers, um, we're getting farmers to where they're almost more uh, self-sufficient with a lot less additive um, stuff. And that, that, by the way, is what I was referring to with a lot of, you know, the companies are getting funded in Silicon Valley that are additive purveyors. I don't see a good future for them. Uh, people that are in regenerative ag, um, eventually you need less and less of that. And um, so I think that uh, that's my goal is, look, you know, farmers have animals running on their fields, they're grazing those cover crops, and they're using robotics to, to do all of that. And so that's, that's where we're going with that is to enable that regenerative ag. And uh, whether they organic certify or not, I think that path naturally leads there over time, but I'm not sure it's, it's going to be that important by the time we get there. But just to be very, very clear, you are your goal is to where anyone, you know, corn, beans, Milo, cotton, I think even these guys on on whatever size acre will one day, hopefully the plan is they'll you'll have enough of these and this is how they'll take care of it. The chemicals will be gone from the from the weed standpoint. Absolutely, you've got to set a lofty goal and, and shoot for it. Do we have every answer out there or, or developed? Uh, not yet, but uh, we're pretty close actually. I've been doing it for a decade and testing, and I have a pretty good idea what we need to do. So what is the uh, what's the competition like out there? I mean, I know there's some people that shoot uh, electricity, some fire stuff from a from a mechanical robotics non chemical process. What is uh, the competition landscape like out there? 
or the hell? I mean, yeah, nobody's. Yeah, so we're you know our category. We stand alone, to my knowledge. It's it's no-till mechanical. Uh, there's no one else doing that. Now there are guys who are doing no-till and they're they're shooting uh, very specific uh, herbicide mixtures. Uh, based on machine vision recognition of whether it's a weed or not. So there's those those guys who are using chemicals, but a lot more uh, trying to reduce the chemical load that way. So Blue River that John Deere bought would be one example. Um, you've got uh, a lot of guys in specialty, uh, not a lot, but a few. You've got uh, Nio Technologies, which is a great company, and they're in their uh, weeding uh, lettuce crops. And uh, they've got, they're the real deal. They've been at it longer than us, and uh, you can go online and, and watch the robots weed. It's 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 pretty amazing to watch. And so they're 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 in tilling, and they're in specialty crops. And so everyone else is basically either using chemicals or tilling at this point um, to do what they're doing. We're the only ones that are using mechanical plus no-till. What's your number one headwind right now in, in the in the niche you're in? Yeah, I think that. Um, you know, the big, biggest thing is it just takes a little bit of time to do this, and um, so we're, you know, we're getting there rather quickly, but, um, you know, the headwinds we have are really our own, right. and it's uh, developing the technology, and then it's, of course, adding, you know, funding to scale from there, but uh, I feel like we're going to have a pretty good grasp on that, but, um, and then beyond that, it's exactly, you know, what, the questions you've been asking me, you know, it's, it's communicating what we're doing, where we're going and frankly getting consumers to understand what is regenerative ag because, you know, it's complex, right? And so it's always a challenge to explain that to consumers what that value proposition is. As we leave, I want to give you the last word. If there's anything you want to wrap up, reiterate, or, or share with the people, and then, uh, and then uh, I'll cut us loose. Well, Todd, first, uh, I appreciate you and Kevin having me on here and uh, discussing it. I mean, we're... We're early stage, and we got a lot of farmers, you know, reaching out to us now. And, and um, I will say this, um, feeling great about my decision 10 years ago, you know. And one of the great things about it is the people in this space are just phenomenal to work with, by and large. And uh, I really do enjoy, you know, working with farmers and figuring stuff out. And uh, we've had a lot of guys kind of advising us and helping us here on a local basis, some that I grew up with and, and really, you know, I'm constantly pinging ideas off people. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And uh, it's really been great. If uh, anyone wants to get in touch with us, they should just go on our website and shoot us a note. We're, we're pretty responsive at this point. And, um, you know, right now we're focused in south-central Kansas. That's probably going to be the case next year as well. And then we'll see about scaling from there. But I'd love for people to stay in touch. We've got some pretty cool things in development. And... Uh, as time goes by, I think people are going to be really surprised what they see coming from us. Well, if we can grab our, our camera crew, which we have, uh, well, maybe we can get out there and, and film some of that and have a, make a good afternoon of it. So thank you again, Clint, for making time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good day, sir.